Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Well, the Bucks had quite a week with the tropical storm, of course, and planes that left them grounded in Tampa for eight hours or so. They overcame all that adversity to get a big 46-23 win over the Carolina Panthers. Ronald Jones overcame a fumble and was the star with 192 rushing yards, including a 98-yard TD run, the longest in Bucks history. And then Tom Brady, three touchdown passes. He ran for another score. The defense allowed just 35 yards, I think, in the second half. Bucks now 7-3. and three. They head to their Monday night football game against the Rams. We're going to break down the Bucks win with Joey Knight of the Tampa Bay Times on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, you know what? If you need money for the holidays, and who doesn't, head to our friends at Old Northeast Jewelers this Wednesday through Friday from 10.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. daily as they are buying underperforming assets like fine jewelry, Rolex, Breitling, Tag Heuer, Muli Glashuta, or any fine watch, silver and gold currency, fine Asian antiques. How about some fine paintings that you might have around oils or watercolors, old masters, modernist, Americana, or some fine pottery, maybe Native American items, guitars and antiques. If you've got some of these items, that you can get some extra holiday money then by going to see our friends at Old Northeast Jewelers, their new location is in Hyde Park Village. They're at 1607 Swan Avenue. All right, Joey Knight joins us now. And, uh, Joey, i got to be honest with you, this has been quite a week for the Buccaneers if you really you know, go back to just a week ago when they had that disastrous appearance on Sunday night football and that loss to the Saints and all that transpired after it from you know, having to sort of rearrange their practice schedule because of the storm. I mean, goodness gracious, Tom Brady – Almost lost two jet skis out of the thing, right? So, what could be worse than that? And then, um, and then, you know, the weekend got longer because they were trying to leave at one thirty on a Saturday in Tampa to take what is their usually one of their shortest road trips of the year up to Charlotte, about an hour and fifteen minutes or so, hour and a half. And they wind up staying at the airport and not getting into Charlotte until eleven thirty p.m. I mean, this was shock full of of. Uh, all kinds of, of adversity, and yet they managed to, to overcome all of that and play, for all intents and purposes, one of the better games they've played this year. That's why I think this game is one of the more impressive wins in recent franchise memory, because you just laid it all out, Rick. They had their psyche challenged after that debacle last weekend against the Saints. They had their schedule challenged by Etta. And please do not do not devalue that when you're a professional athlete and you're a creature of routine and rhythm and that yep. gets disrupted. Mm-hmm. That means a lot. And then like you like we talked about, just to go through what they went through Saturday night, just sitting around in an obscure terminal at Tampa International Airport for several hours, not getting in until 11 or 1130 and then having to go back and, and play a play a game nearly 12 hours later. I think that perfect storm 
for, forgive the pun, just represents right. just a, a resilience and a fortitude. That, and that's why I consider it one of the most impressive wins in, in recent memory for, for the Buccaneers, just because of all they had to deal with over the previous seven days. Yeah, and it really was a must win, too, because if you look at the schedule, of course, now they have a big Monday night game, haven't fared well on national TV, to say the least, against the Rams, who are suddenly tied uh, with two other teams, Arizona and Seattle, for first place. They beat the Seahawks. Uh, and and then after that, it's just the Super Bowl champions that you host at <laughs> Raymond James. Um, it is true that you know they're, they're not going to be on the road for about four weeks, which is a good thing with a bye week in there at some point. Let's go back to, you know, the whole schedule thing. And you're right. These players are creatures of habit. There's no question about that. And the one thing that when you're a bad football team you can be sure of is that at 1 o'clock Sunday you're kicking off. Well, that has changed, obviously, with the GOAT. Even before they played a game, they were going to have five national TV games. We'll see what happens, uh, you know, if they they move the Detroit game or whatnot. But um, so, So that was already cast in stone. And they haven't handled those very well. I mean, the bottom line is they played some of their worst football uh, when they've been on national TV. They're just number just one and two. You don't count the four four twenty five game they had against Green Bay where they came back, and that's probably their most impressive win um, to date. But when you're sitting around, you know, here's the thing: understand this too. They were on the plane for a number of hours. A lot of these guys wound up uh, taking a nap for lack mm-hmm. of anything else to do. But these are 300-pound men in some instances, right? These right. are not guys that, you know, I don't fit comfortably in a coach seat, and there's only so many in first class. So you're traveling with a party of about 100 when you consider all the coaches, the equipment guys, all the support staff, everybody that has to make that trip. And, you know, from what I understand, it was a mechanical issue, so they were trying to fix the plane while they were on it because as soon as they fixed it, they were going to go. Well, it didn't go. And if you've ever been over to uh, Tampa International, you know by the International Plaza Mall, there's sort of a, a small terminal that's now called Shelt Air, uh, right. where a lot of the charter planes fly out of, and whether you're the Lightning or, or anybody else, um, they've, the where, Bucks where charter. Where they with Charlie Strong in secretly a few years back. <laughs> it's right. <We're, laughs> oh, you want to go there? I got about I got about five coaches in the last 10 years that they've whipped in there. <laughs> um, and those are just the ones I know they hired, so... Um, yeah. And, and so you got the big Delta jet sitting out there humming and, and, you know, it's not a big term. It's not like you're in the TIA side of things. You know, we have an entire concourse or something. Um, this is kind of separated. And, and so after being on the plane at one thirty in the afternoon, they then ended up getting off the plane after several hours and they're kind of spread and crammed through this place upstairs, downstairs. They bring in pizza. Who doesn't love pizza? They bring in sandwiches. I mean, they knew they were there for the long haul. And again, 300-pound guys that, you know, might have to eat something every now and again, I, I would imagine, um, planning on landing sometime around 3, 3.30, and they don't, you know, they don't take off till almost 10 o'clock. I mean, it was, it was a long day and a short night. And, you know, and, and they didn't start the game really well against Carolina. I mean, obviously, Ronald Jones, who we'll talk about his historic day, um, gets hit, fumbles early. They give up a quick touchdown. They're trailing in this game, you know, ten to seven, seventeen to ten. I mean, they, they were they did not tie it up until just before halftime. So it wasn't like they got off to a great start. But oh man, maybe one of the best second halves, even though they left some points on the board that they have played 
um, in a long time. And, you know, it's as simple as this, Joey. If you give Tom Brady time to throw the football, he's going to put up some really big numbers. It's amazing how that works out. <laughs> and when you got when you got a tailback who springs one for ninety eight yards, and oh yeah, that, that helps. Defense, <laughs> yeah. You know? and, and everything that that you just talked about, Rick, it completely stands to reason about just uh, how they were kind of sluggish. I don't know if sluggish is the right word. Maybe defensively they were sluggish and out of sorts in the first half. But it all stands to reason because Bruce Arians told us they didn't even meet. During those no. several hours, they were in that terminal. You know, I think there were some reports out there that they they had their Helped meal and show. they met. Bruce Arians said, no, we didn't meet. Guys were too scattered, you know, upstairs, yeah. downstairs. He said some guys were sitting on the plane, you know, getting sleep, which God bless mm. people who are capable of doing that. Oh, I, I could never do that. Well, not only but, could I, I couldn't do that if the plane was moving. No way right. I could do it if it was parked. I mean, I, I, yeah, I struggle bad enough when it's moving. So, you know, yeah. God bless the guys whose bodies allow them to do that. But it all right. stands to reason. You, you know, they didn't meet earlier Sunday morning. They were, you know, trying to catch up on no. some sleep so they could depart the stadium at, you know, nine thirty ten in the morning. So sure. it, it all just kind of stood to reason that they would come out and play the way they did. And Bruce Arians told us Todd Bowles gotten a few grills at halftime Jason Pierre-Paul told told us that Bruce said a few things. Some other players said a few things. And they just came out with a renewed focus on both sides of the ball. And it was kind of a, an historic half. I, I counted it up. I hope my math was correct. 187 total yards for the Panthers, but only right. 35 in the second half. No third down conversions for the Panthers correct. in the second half. That's about as good as it gets. Yeah, and when you score, and I don't remember this ever happening, when you score after the fumble early in the game on nine consecutive possessions is really. And to be honest with you, and Bruce Arian said this after the game, and it's true, you know, Ryan Suckup might have set a record for the, the most field goals under 30 yards in a game. He kicked four field goals, but they were all like extra points from the old days when they used to put the ball on the two yard line. Right. Um, they left a lot of, they did, they left probably 21 points or 20 points off the scoreboard because Brady had some guys open in the end zone, had some guys deep Gronkowski one time, missed Mike Evans, missed Tyler Johnson. And when I say he missed them, you know, not by much the balls were a little bit high or, or thrown really hard. Um, and it would have been great missed, plays missed by Mike the receivers. Evans, I think a couple of times, Rick, he had that miscommunication where it looked like Mike pulled up. And a second yes. one, he just kind of overthrew, you know, he had his hands outstretched and just missed him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, I mean, imagine the big days they would have had. And yet, um, still spread the ball around. I think 10, 11 guys might have touched it. And and all of them, you know, had good days. I mean, all of them had six, seven catches um, for just, you know, anywhere from 60 to 80-something to yards. So, I mean, it was really productive you know, in that, and, and, and the big thing, again, we, we go back to, you give them time, you give any quarterback time and can run the football. And it starts with the offensive line and they made a change, which I sort of anticipated after watching this last debacle. Um, Ali Marpet missed his second game with a concussion and you should be concerned because nobody right. wants a player to be suffering with that much less one that drags into a second week, which is really a third week. If you think about it, so even though he was at practice, um, they pretty much banged him and said that he was out on Saturday. Uh, and we know a week ago when this occurred, and they knew he was going to miss, 
they went ahead and moved Joe Haig, who's really kind of a swing guy. He can play tackle or guard. He had been playing sort of a hybrid, you know, extra tight end in some big formations. They put him at left guard with Donovan Smith. It was a disaster. That's right. not overstating things. They were terrible. Um, mm-hmm. The Saints took advantage of that whole scenario. They ran a lot of twists, a lot of stunts. They got to Tom Brady three times for sacks, hit him about nine other times. I mean, it was really not what you want to do to your 43-year-old goat, to say the least. Um, but they made a nice change, and, 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 and you kind of thought that maybe they would go this way, but it requires changing two positions in a way. They took A.Q. Shipley, who has been – with Bruce Arians at various places, you know, with the Steelers, with the Colts, and then, of course, with the Cardinals. I think you started some 51 games in this offense. They moved right. him to center and then took Ryan Jensen, who prefers to play center, uh, and moved him to guard where he actually began his career with the Baltimore Ravens. And you know what? It was good. It, it worked. They obviously were able to run the football. They protected pretty well. Now, let's not get carried away. This is not the Saints' defensive line that they were going against. Right. Um, you know, this team, I think, is tied with Jacksonville for last in the league in sacks per game, and they, they made, made, met it. It was one per game. They did that. Um, but that was, a, that was a pretty good move by Bruce Arians to, to try to plug that hole and, and one that they definitely needed to improve on. Far more effective than the previous week, and obviously the hope is that Ali's okay and we see sure. him back on the field next next Monday night. That's the ideal rotation. But this was a pretty solid adjustment this time around. Tom Brady got hit a little bit. I think it was seven times, but he only got sacked once. For, for the right. most part, the pass protection was pretty darn solid. And mm-hmm. Rick, if you look at that Ronald Jones run, and I went back and looked at it several times, that left side with Brate at the tight end and Smith and Ryan Jensen, they didn't just create a hole on the left side. They created a freaking gorge that really yeah. sprung Ronald Jones. Now, Ronald Jones did a lot on his own, especially kind of breaking that shoestring tackle near mm-hmm. midfield. But starting that thing off with, you know, simple off-tackle running play, and those guys just created a a gorge for him to run through. I thought that was really impressive. Yeah, it was. And they had him backed up at the two-yard line. The game's not completely sealed there by any means. That run, which was, was historic because his you know, you can only run one yard longer, right? 99 yards right. with a tight end NFL record. Um, so he's second of all time. But the longest run, obviously, in Bucks history. And for Ronald Jones, it was big because early in that game, he lost a fumble on the first possession, and that led to a quick touchdown and a 7 to nothing lead, which then was, you know, a 10 to 7 lead and a 17 to 10 lead. Um, and if you recall, Ronald Jones fumbled the ball. Had a pretty big fumble at, at New York against the Giants. And Bruce Arians said some interesting things after the game. He said, you know, Jones kind of went in a jar after after that fumble in New York. And he really wasn't kind of the same player. He was not, you know, he he hurt his team and he felt bad and um didn't really play as well. In this one, um, I guess, you know, Arians told him, you, you know, you're our guy. Like kind of get your head out, you know, and 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 keep keep pounding it. And he did. And he had a career day, obviously. And we saw the burst that when they drafted this guy, he was only barely 20, 21 years old coming mm-hmm. out of USC. That's what they hoped for because you saw so many long runs at USC. Um, but now he's up to 200, 228 pounds. And for him to run, well, they clocked him, Joey, at 21 miles an hour on that run. I saw that. It's incredible. I mean, that is 
kind of fast. I don't think I can ride my bike. Well, in fact, I'm sure I can't ride my bike that fast. Uh, and that's with uh, with a with a you know 10 speed or 15 speed or whatever. But he was he was booking, and he and he got to glance up at the um, you know he got to glance up at the jumbotron, kind of change the angle because uh, he was getting run down a little bit from behind. But very impressive run by him. And and after that, the defense comes back. They get a they they get a stop, but better than that, they get a turnover. Remember a week ago, you know that whole New Orleans game might have changed with one defensive play. Um, mm-hmm. You know, early sure. in that game, you had a you had a blitz off the edge by Jamal Dean, who had Drew Brees dead to rights on the first series and jumped up in the air, and Bruce kind of pump faked and went around him and threw threw a first down, and then later in the same series, he throws a ball that hits JPP between the nine and the zero, and he doesn't catch it. And that's a pass in this, break up there, Rick. Yeah, yeah. Did you hear that? So we had this exchange after the game <laughs> because JPP after the after the touchdown run, he ends up with an interception this time. Catches the ball. Um, they they turn it into three points. Should have probably cashed it in, but they they get a ten point swing there between that and Ronald Jones. So I was asking him. I said, "Well, you know, you must feel better. You dropped the no, no. I didn't drop the ball. I I broke that pass up. I was covering Kamara and I slipped. And so I kind of want to make sure he didn't catch it. And I'm like, oh, okay." Um, but regardless, he's having a hell of a year. Had another sack. I think that's seven, seven, seven and a half this year. Um, you saw Shaq Barrett come through with one as well. So obviously, when once they made them one one dimensional, they didn't get you know as you mentioned even forty yards in the second right. half. But the defense totally turned it around, and you can do that when you have a lead. It's a lot easier to do it um, than when you have to play the run and the pass. Um, but this was like thoroughly. Um, the best half, like you said, that I think they've played uh, in in a very long time. And the thing about it is, Joey, I really see it in terms of their explosiveness. Like, it didn't show up against the Saints, right, because they got behind early. You're one-dimensional. You have to throw all the time. Antonio Brown in the second game was a much better player. He looked fast. He looked explosive. He looked like a problem. And you know what? Maybe that's why Mike Evans was open a little bit. Maybe that's why Chris Godwin was open. Maybe that's why Rob Gronkowski might have had one of the biggest plays in the game with a 44-yard shot from Brady that we'd seen year after year after year in New England. When you can put all those guys out there and they can stay on schedule, meaning they can stay in the third and shorts and you know uh, not not get behind the sticks so where Brady's in, in trouble, it looks a lot different. They're really a handful to handle. That I that what we saw today, I think, is what the typical Bucks fan was hoping for with all these acquisitions. A just a really nice disbursement of the ball to all these all pros and Canton bound guys. Right. You look right. at Antonio Brown, eight targets. Chris Godwin, he got his six targets. Mike yeah. Evans, he got his a season high eleven targets. Gronk, mm-hmm. you know, had three targets, but they were all huge. And, right. you know, you got the goat back there just throwing darts. How about that throw to Chris Godwin on third down early in the game toward the sideline, which one of the tightest windows I've seen. I still don't know how Chris Godwin caught it. But right. th- this is what happens when you, you, can soften, you can soften up a defense by running the ball a little bit because they hadn't really gotten on track running the ball yet. And then, mm. you know, you've got all these guy, guys around you. This is what I think everybody was hoping for and looking for. They, you know, it, it's impossible to, to get everybody 10 targets a game. But 
uh, just a very nice spreading of the wealth like this. And this, <laughs> this is a team that's going to be hard, hard to beat if they can keep their quarterback upright and if they can keep, keep running the football and, and going back, going back to Ronald Jones and, and Bruce Arians, I think it goes without saying your best coaches have great instincts and great mm-hmm. psychological skills. Yeah. He obviously, you know, obviously Bruce Arians instincts told him that, you know, obviously you could see Ronald Jones's talent on film and Bruce Arians stuck with a guy when I think a lot of franchises might have let him go. But he his instincts obviously told him that he was going to help this franchise in a big way at some point. And then, then just to look inside of Ronald Jones and to see, hey, you know, what's the phrase? It just means more. It just means more to him. To see how badly that fumble at New York bothered him. I, I think mm. that spoke to Bruce Arians. I, I, I'll be honest with you. He saw something in that. And that's why he stuck with him. Hey, it just means more to this guy. So just kudos to Bruce Arians for, for sticking with this kid when, you know, this is his third year. I think a lot of, I think a lot of franchises might have cut him loose by now. But uh, Bruce Arians saw something in him. And we saw some of the dividends today. And you got to give Jones a lot of credit because, you know, after he had the 300-yard games, Leonard Fournette came back healthy. And then all right. of a sudden he became, you know, the guy that was sharing his position again. Well, he didn't get a lot of carries the last few weeks. Um, and you're right. Look, I'll put my hand up in the air and tell you straight up, I thought Fournette was going to wind up taking over the starting job in part because Jones just is not a good receiver. And yeah. that hasn't changed. Um, but he is a good, he is a hard runner and he's a home run hitter. He's Barry Bonds, as they say. Um, mm-hmm. you, you got to hold your breath a little bit. If he gets, if you get him to the second level, um, you know, he's going to outrun most guys, even at 225, 228 pounds. So from that standpoint, I do give Bruce a lot of credit. He has said consistently from the beginning of the year, that's his role. He's our starter. He's our guy. Right. And everybody else is going to kind of play around him. We haven't seen Shady McCoy in three weeks. Um, in terms crazy. Of, uh, getting reps he can't get on the field because they're using Leonard Fournette as that third down back now obviously right. Fournette can play all three downs but um, they like him in the role as a closer when you get the fourth quarter I think Sunday they were trying to get Jones 200 yards he was only about well he wound up just what less than 10 yards shy of it but um, he had a, yeah he had a chance to get there he's about 20 shy into the last possession they played him Try to get him to the 200, but they rest for over 200 as a team. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, I give give plenty of credit to Jones and to, you know, really to Bruce Arians for for having a feel for that. And you can see, you know, the team is confident in him too. I mean, he, he is a guy. There aren't many guys in this league, even if you gave him a head start, Joey, that can run 98 yards faster than the other 11 guys. I mean – you know, they did kind of split. It was funny because the story goes that Bruce told is that Blaine Gabbert on the sidelines called it. He said, you know what? He he may break this all the way. He and did. Ari- yep, and he Arian, Arians, yeah, and Arian said, you know what? If he splits those guys, he will. Um, and he beat the safety, and then it was a race, you know, with the linebacker, and, and you know, he dove at the, the last second there, and he did clip his heel, but he managed to step out of it, and um, again, you know, look, I've done this a while. 98 yard touchdown runs don't come around very often. Neither do 200 yard games or, or damn close to it. You got to go back to Doug Martin, 
had a couple 200 yeah. yard games early in his very early in his career. Um, so, and you may yeah. remember this, Rick. I, I'm sure you do. He had the second longest run from scrimmage in franchise history. That was 84 yards against Philadelphia, I think, in 2015. But he didn't score. I just don't remember that play. You might. Yeah, I, I don't remember it very well, but I do. I do remember he got caught, um, and it was uh, it was it was sort of surprising. But you know, again. I mean, Ronald Jones, as as it stands right now, I haven't looked this up, but I, I'm I would imagine he's easily in the top five or six in the league right now in terms of rushing. Um, for a while, yes. there he was in the top five. When you have a 200 yard day, obviously you get you get way up there in the standings and in rushing yards. So, I mean, overall, you know, I I still think that they have you know aren't they aren't quite as locked down on defense as we have seen them earlier this year, right. although. You know, Devin White continues to make impressive plays, and you know if if you if you get a lead on them, who is complaining when you have less than forty yards against you in the second half? Um, right. But it looked it, it looked a lot like they want to look where where you know in this league if you can, I mean I just never seen a team you look up and and there's forty something points. I mean that's that's like franchise that's probably in the top three points. In, in in any game that, that that this team has had, they hung you know fifty five on the Rams last year. Um, mm-hmm. They had forty eight you know earlier this season, but um, you know to see them go out there and and, and put that kind of number and, and still could have scored sixty, and that's not a stretch. They could have right. easily scored sixty with a couple better throws. Um, you know, just 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 a little bit off on a few things. So now everybody's going to see this and there were some interesting things that happened around the league. This NFC to me is going to be really wild down the stretch because there's now three teams sort of tied in the NFC West. Um, Seattle was beaten by the Rams, which was a big win for the Rams. And then that Cardinal game, what a crazy, crazy finish um, to the Cardinals and the bills after Josh Allen looked like he had this game won with a terrific throw and catch late. That was a beautiful throw in itself and nobody will remember it. I know it was amazing. (laughs) <laughs> he puts them up by five, I think it was, and and uh, yes. they're down to they're down to the hail mary. Um, Kyler Murray is a special player, I think th- yes. both those quarterbacks are. But man, you know, and, and it, it seems like fifteen minutes ago, everybody was questioning whether he should have just played baseball instead. He was, you know, forget about the days of you're too short, you're too anything. The new mm-hmm. quarterbacks are mobile; they can throw from a lot of different angles and platforms. And they don't have to be six foot three, six foot four anymore. Um, no. You've seen that now with Tui Tungavaloa or Tua Tungavaloa. You've seen it now with Kyler Murray. Um, obviously, that Lamar Jackson is a bigger guy, but yeah, that yeah, him too. Um, <laughs> he's not bad in uh, Seattle. So yeah, uh, you know they're getting it done in their own way. But those are some explosive teams, and so you look at it and you go. Okay, that's why this win was so big because the math doesn't work for the Bucks. If they were to lose to Carolina and get to six and four, yeah. you've got a bunch of a bunch of teams, you know, that are competing in the West. Only one can win it. Those other two could be in the wild card hunt or make the wild card. Green Bay, of course, is winning, you know, the NFC North, but you still have Chicago. Minnesota seems to be on the rise a little bit. Um, yeah. There's a lot of good teams in the NFC, and if they don't beat the Saints. Which, by the way, some breaking news for them. They suffered a big injury. Oh, yeah, the quarterback hurt his ribs, Drew Brees. You know who that brought in, Jameis Winston. Right. <laughs> and so, 
Um, he was a little bit of a caretaker quarterback the rest of the way, but they beat the 49ers who are just completely decimated by injuries, including their quarterback. Um, but now, you know, what happens to the Saints? Can Jameis, if Jameis has to play a number of games or Taysom Hill, are they going to be as good? Um, their schedule is easier than the Bucks going forward, that's for sure. But, you know, the Bucks would have to finish a whole game ahead of them. They can't win the tiebreaker. There's still plenty of football left. But the Bucks now, they're going to be at home for a while. You know, you've got right. a couple of home games against really good teams. I mean, you know, there's these these next two are is the big boy league. You know, these next two yeah. are teams that could you could find yourselves in a championship game with uh, or certainly, you know, the defending Super Bowl champions. I think Kansas City's going to be in that championship game probably with Pittsburgh. So, depending on how you come out of this, after that you've got Atlanta twice and the Detroit Lions. Uh-huh. And so there's some real, you know, strong finish possibilities um, if they can build on the momentum of this game. Now, they're going to get a bunch of days off, too, which I think is going to help them. You know, they've played a lot of Monday night, Sunday night, Monday, you know, different different right. days, different times. I think Bruce Arians, Joey, from the latest I heard, and we'll update this tomorrow, might be giving the players off until at least Wednesday. Wow. It would yeah. make complete sense. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm looking at the standings right now, just to go back to that. You know, they, they made their bed with the Saints, right? There's nothing they can do mm-hmm. about that, you know, for the time being. But that NFC West, 6-3, six 6-3, and 6-3. Six and three, six and three. Had they lost today and been 6-4 and four instead of 7-3, and three, and then the Rams coming in on Monday night, where the Bucks simply, for whatever reason, haven't performed well on that kind of stage. I mean, you're, you're, things are looking pretty grim at that point. But now, you know, there's kind of a renewed sense of life. You can somehow, you know, you get that extra day off, that extra day to breathe, and then, you know, maybe Ali Marpet comes back for you. And you're right. a little, little better fortified for, for that Monday night game against the Rams, and you pull that out, and it's a whole different story. But you mm-hmm. talked about it. You wrote about it, Rick, just how critical – a win today was, and you know, it just didn't dawn on me until I'm looking now at these standings. Now, not so much with the with, with the Saints because they they've they've made their mistakes. They've made their bed with the Saints just because of that NFC West and those right. teams are you know vying for a playoff shot too. So humongous yeah. win today, humongous. Yeah, you could see a couple teams from the West possibly getting a wild card as well as the division winners. So. You might have a scenario if you're a wild card where you would have to go to Philadelphia or you would have to go to Arizona or you'd have to go to Seattle perhaps. I mean, you just don't you don't know um, who the other division winners are going to be. So they're a long way from that. I mean, they, they still have to continue to get better. And, 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 you know, every game Tom Brady is always about, hey, you know, it's we're a work in progress, we're this, we're yeah. that. Um, you know, he, he, he really has never – totally satisfied with his performance but the one thing you say about Brady is he bounces back Um, this guy he doesn't lose much anyway but he really doesn't lose two in a row very much and you know they're sitting here seven and three and what's funny is is that any other year seven and three what would the you know what is the usual reaction when you're seven and three in Tampa Bay it's only (laughs) happened a few times I mean nobody really knows quite what to act it's kind of ironic and a little sad frankly that you can't feel better about seven and three as a Bucks fan because of the two losses to the Saints. But what are we quibbling with here? I mean, seven out of ten, 
In a conventional happen. year, you're chiseling the Aryan statue, oh, you know, God. outside on Martin Luther King Boulevard. Yeah. You know, and, you know, going back to Brady, what, what you talked about bouncing back today was his the 50th win of his career following a loss. So he is now 50 and 15 coming off a loss. I'd have to wow. add up that winning percentage, but that's pretty astronomical. 50 and 15 coming off a loss. Yeah, no, it's very impressive. Well, we'll see. You know, we'll get uh, in a stand corrected. They're going to have off until Thursday, the players. Will. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, good long, long rest for them. They'll have uh, Monday, Tuesday, victory Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Now, last week when they had a bunch of guys off, Bruce Arians said that they were conscientious enough to all come in on their day off and try wow. to start getting prepared to try to, you know, rid themselves of the sort of the bad taste in their mouth that they had with the Saints. So I'm sure guys will be in there getting treatment, maybe looking at film and doing some things, but uh, a Monday night game. So the extra day to prepare at home, then home against Kansas city and, you know, uh, two marquee games again on national TV that uh, most of the country will see, if not all of it, it's going to be interesting. Let's talk a little, uh, before I let you go, Joey, a little college football. Um, let me just say this. I'm not going to call you for the tips on the college football world universe necessarily. If I'm betting, just because I believe you said that that you wouldn't have been surprised if USF beat Houston and they came oh so not close. Um, I have to I have to make an excuse for myself. That's before I knew half the team would be sidelined for that's true. presumably for COVID, including their 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 best defensive player, their starting quarterback, their best tailback, and I could go on and on, baby. <laughs> yeah, they'd have taken that off the board in Las Vegas, I believe, if they showed up without thirteen of their best yeah. players. Um, I mean, I guess that's, uh, it's sad for USF because I mean, the, the amount of points that they have given up this year is incredible. And Houston has not been, you know, a juggernaut by any means this year. Um, but they fought, they fought to the end. They scored some points late. Um, what can you say, you know, uh, uh, about that first year program, you know, it's tough. And, and you feel for them because this was a game where they actually came in with a little bit of momentum. They had gone mm -hmm. up to Memphis and played well and seemed to have found their quarterback for the rest of this season anyway, the fifth-year senior Noah Johnson. And then right. Noah doesn't make the trip to Houston. So, you know, just when, the, the you know, the program's finally getting a little glimmer of hope, you know, one weekend – this happens. And it's just one thing after another for Jeff Scott and Jeff Scott don't want anybody sympathizing for him. Everybody's going through this, you know, right. COVID has hit everybody hard, but you know, by the same token, he, he inherited a, a program, you know, for, for let, uh, there's no really a soft way to say this, that was really having a depth and talent issue across the board. Charlie Strong just didn't leave, didn't leave him a lot of players. And then yeah. to have no summer, no spring to, to install his system and to really just get his coaches acclimated and develop a telepathy with, with the players that, you know, he had that going against him. And then just the COVID stuff, one thing after another, the guy just, the guy just can't catch a break and you feel for him because I will say this, Rick, and you know, I watch him as much as I can. And obviously I watched him, every Saturday before I came and joined you from everything I see, those guys play hard They're, mm -hmm. You know, we saw that Saturday. They, I believe that it was 28 to nothing at halftime. And, you know, they, they played them to 28 to 21 in, 
in the second half. So he he's still got the guys playing hard, and that that's that's a feat in itself. In, in this in this time when any kid could opt out if you wanted to, and a coach really couldn't say anything, just because of the circumstances that our society faces, he has kept these guys mostly on board. I think maybe one or two guys have opted out a, along the way, but. You know, these guys are still playing hard for him. And I I think, you know, Jeff will gather his guys together at the end of the season and he'll say, look, if people were going to get us, they had better get us this year because this is only going to make us stronger. This is going to galvanize us. We're we're all going to be better for it. And then he's going to go out and hit that portal like heck and recruit like heck and try to replenish that roster. Yeah, and I I think that you know this year is is bad for a lot of people, um, and some of the traditional powers even. But certainly, if you've got a quarterback that's been there, if you've got a you know a program, a first year coach is very very difficult to make any kind of inroads when you don't have a spring practice, when you don't have uh, your time with your players. And the one thing that I noticed is that with thirteen guys not showing up. They got to play a lot of young players, and some of them got some really good experience, and some of them look like they're going to be okay. Some of those true freshmen. Yeah, no question. Amari and Dollison, the wide receiver, has shown some some, some promise in spurts. Um, Brian Batie, a little tailback. Batie, the running back. Has, yeah, I liked him. Yeah. Has, has, had, has had some nice moments. I think mm-hmm. they really, they're really high on Catravis Marsh, the freshman, who has just kind of been thrown into the fire probably a little too early. But they they really like him. We're not privy to practice, but they say he's you know he he's a heck of a practice player and is showing them something you know week after week. So you know I I really think if you're going to get USF, I'm not saying they're going to go out and reach bowl eligibility in 2021. But if you're going to get them, you better get them this year because Jeff Scott and his staff they know how to recruit. They're going to hit that portal. And they're going to beat the bushes in, in the state and in Georgia and elsewhere and the Carolinas. And they're going to get this turned around, no question about it. And, you know, if we have a second, we had some some breaking news this evening. Um, we had a big-time dismissal in the SEC with Will Muschamp. I don't know if you were aware yeah, of that, Rick. Yeah, I saw that on the way out of the press box. Yeah, Will Muschamp has been fired by the Gamecocks. Um, just really didn't get a whole lot of traction there. I don't know. You know, again, a lot of people question – He's a defensive coach primarily. They they never really were very explosive offensively, and this is a a big job that's now available. Uh, of course, one he kind of followed in Spurrier's footsteps as a coach at Florida and then South Carolina. But um, yeah, what do you, what do you make of that? I mean, did you that was looked like it was coming heady that way, right? No question. For whatever reason, both at Florida and at South Carolina, he just never could employ. I guess what you'd call a 21st century offense offense, right? That, that was his, uh, that was his downfall. Brilliant offensive guy, just a brilliant guy, you know, in in general from people that I've spoken to that know him and have been around him a long time, really smart guy, loves his players, has a great passion for his players. It's probably going to go somewhere next year and just be a highly successful defensive coordinator somewhere. My only issue Rick, and it's probably just a little bit of a quirk. I think, I firmly believe when you're the head coach, you have to, you have to command respect on the sideline with your presence. And that can either be stoic like Tony Dundry or Tom Landry or high energy like Tom Allen or, you know, 
Raheem yeah, Morris, Jim or some Harbaugh, of these other guys, or, mm-hmm. or Harbaugh. But when you're when you're pitcher pitching temper tantrums every other weekend, I, yeah. I just think that's a bad look, and I just mm-hmm. don't think that commands any respect. And he did it again, just right at halftime. Went and jumped in a in an official's grill. Mm-hmm. Ole Miss scored just before halftime, and he just he just went off and you know quite frankly made an ass of himself again. And that, that's something I just always had problems with. People look to you to just kind of be the, the compass of the program and command respect with your presence and how you conduct yourself. And you can do it in a myriad ways. But when you're just going off the rails like that, I just, I've always thought that was a bad look. Well, don't look now, but Dan Mullen's on line one for you after, after the Missouri yeah. game. <laughs> and, and yes, he, he, he's, he's guilty as charged, but you know, it just seemed, it seemed really prevalent through the years with Muschamp. I even yeah, remember a few years back when he was, had that one year stint at Auburn and I was watching mm-hmm. a game and he was just going nuts. And it was an ESPN game, a night game, you know, national TV. And he was going ballistic. And, you know, I was, Looking at my son, I said, they're going to throw him out of the game. They're going to throw him out of the ballpark. You just can't do that. So it's just kind of a, a common theme with Muschamp. But that said, he's obviously a very smart guy. He obviously has a lot of passion, especially for his players. He's a family guy. He'll land on his feet. He just he just couldn't get the offense going in, in Columbia. Yeah, well, he's not the only guy to struggle at South Carolina. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, I, I hear you. Passion is... Sometimes not, sometimes not just enough. Um, meanwhile, if we're going to stick with the college football theme, I mean, the University of Florida continues to roll, and Kyle Trask has been just lights out. Big game against Felipe Frank, Franks in Arkansas. Um, entertaining for a little bit, but it looks like nobody's going to stop the Gators until they get the SEC title game. You know what? What it's been like recently, it's been like those vintage Spurrier years where they were just putting up 40 and 50 every weekend yes. in the SEC. And even Pat Dooley, the longtime Gainesville Sun columnist who's been following the team for decades and covering them, said, you know, th- this, this offense we're seeing right now is like 95, 96, 2001 when mm-hmm. Spurrier just had it going. And, you know, it's hard to disagree with him. Another, what was it last night? Six touchdown passes for Kyle Trask. And if yeah. that guy is not the Heisman front runner, there ought to be an investigation. Uh, I I just, you know, I don't think Trevor Lawrence should be penalized for missing games due to COVID. I don't believe that at all. But even that said, how how can Kyle Trask not be the Heisman front runner at this point? Well, unless they unless they think ETN on on Clemson's own team um, might be up there. But you're right. As quarterbacks go, he's going to have Joe Burrow like numbers. um, No no question. Certainly was good enough for Joe Burrow. So, you know. Yeah, it was an impressive weekend uh, for the Gators, and and um, you know we'll, we'll see we'll see what they do going forward. But for the Bucks, they win a big game. Uh, we will be on the uh, Zoom calls today later with Bruce Arians. We'll see what their plans are. Again, I'm told players off till Thursday. Probably have a chance to talk to one or two guys, maybe before then. But um, we'll be preparing coverage in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. You can read myself, Joey Knight. For all your Bucks news, and uh, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll check it out tomorrow with you, Joey. Thanks so much for joining the podcast, man. Thanks, Rick. Always a pleasure. My thanks as always to Joey Knight. Uh, we're going to be talking to Bruce Arians uh, later today. We'll get his assessment once they've had a chance to go back and look at the tape and get their schedule for the week. Looks like the Bucks, as I mentioned, 
Players will be off probably until Thursday as they prepare for their Monday night football game against the Los Angeles Rams. And remember, if you need some money for the holidays, we all do. Head out to Old Northeast Jewelers. Of course, they've got their office in St. Pete. Anytime Wednesday through Friday this week from 10.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. daily, they're buying a bunch of underperforming assets. I mean, if you've got some fine jewelry or some watches, some silver or gold currency, maybe some Asian antiques or some fine paintings, pottery, anything Native American items, guitars, anything like that, head on out there. And uh, if you have some of these, you'll get some extra holiday money by going to Old Northeast Jewelers. Their new location is in Hyde Park Village. They're at 1607 Swan Avenue. For Steve Ersnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.